I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. So, ma'am, can you please begin by providing me with a brief summary about yourself, who you are, what you're about, and sort of what your message is? Absolutely, but not ma'am. Corby's fine. What I call the 30-second elevator speech. I have been reading tarot since I was 18. I'm 66. So I'm a certified tarot master. I am a past life specialist, psychic medium, ordained minister, but I'm not one of those psychics who thinks her aura don't stink. I'm here in service. It's here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Here's the tough stuff. Here's how to get through it or around it. Here's your toolbox. Go rock and roll. I hand you the toolbox. I'm not the repairman. The simple way to say it is I take what I do very seriously, me not so much. Right. I definitely wasn't going to question that. It does appear that you, you take your job very seriously. Your website is very professional. And I do think later on during this talk, I would want to share that screen. We could kind of show it Great. to everyone. Thank you. Right. And can you please kind of talk about what made you into the psychic that you are today? I understand all the certification, but where was that internal motivation that you had before all that? Well, when I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary or ha, 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 I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world. I wanted to go find it. Fast forward to 1973, when I was a senior in high school, working part-time at Spencer Gifts. They had the James Bond 007 tarot deck, and I bought it. Because we were all hippies then. You had your elephant bell-bottoms and your fringe jacket in your deck. Now, five years later, everybody else had moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I was still reading because the cards fascinated me. So for 20 years, read for my friends, making sure I would keep my ego out of it so the readings would be clear. All of a sudden, in 1994, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when the universe handed me my draft notice and said, greetings, (laughs) you're working for us. So I did it part-time while very checkered career, actress, author, inspirational speaker, video producer, wrote for a famous graphic novel series called ElfQuest for 10 years, executive recruiter for engineering and manufacturing, always doing the psychic work on the side. Then came 9-11 and my husband and I watched the towers burn. And I looked at him and I said, I need to do this work full time. People need to know there are other answers out there. And he said, I believe in you, go do it. So for a year, I still worked in the corporate world and made sure I could make a living at this. So in 2002, I kissed corporate goodbye and I have never looked back. Very good. Very good. And what makes your psychic books different from sort of these everyday run of the mill psychic books? Because you tend to stand out to me from all these other psychics. And I need to know why your books are so different. Well, number one, I'm funny. I mean, I have done stand-up comedy about you think a psychic's life is easy. And I love writing. I often say words are my drug of choice. So when I chose to write this book, it wasn't here is psychic development and here's how for you to do it. Or here's all the amazing things that I did and this is why I'm wonderful and you should have a reading with me. There are lots of those books out there. I wrote this book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, to protect people out there who wanted to go get a psychic reading, but they didn't want to have to learn how to do it themselves. I mean, I'd like to get my car repaired. I don't need to know how to change it, you know, change out the brake lines. Right. And 
what inspired this book. There are real gypsies, but then there are the fake ones. They're the ones who put on the jingling jewelry and the headscarf and they do bad, bad accent and they can be gypsy. Hmm? So I was doing a huge show in Toronto, about 250 booths. And I was across from one of these fake gypsies and a woman was walking down the aisle and the fake gypsy runs out and grabs her by the arm. Now this is called hooking and it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. But we hear the person say, oh, you no need to pay 30, 40, $50. I reach your palm for 10. Come, drags the woman into her booth. There's a screen, so we don't see what's going on. 20 minutes later, the woman leaves crying hysterically and a bunch of us roll, you know, run over to see what's happening. Well, the gypsy said, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog? $50 every family member, 25 for dog. He's small. We fix. And told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks. And the woman bought it. That's when I decided, number one, you know, we all do small lectures at these things. So my lecture became Psychics 101, The Good, The Bad, and The Cleos. And I started writing this book. Its tagline is, good psychic guidance is art. Don't settle for a forgery. And like I say, I don't care if you read this book and you never come to me. If this keeps you safe with any other intuitive counselor you go to, I did my job. That is very moving. And why did that experience with the, you know, the so-called psychic or the, the gypsy the lady, fake gypsy. the fake gypsy, why did that move you so much? Do you have this problem with people that are pushing this type of thing? Does it make the whole community look bad? As a whole? Well, yes, but number one, 400 bucks was a lot of money 20 years ago. I know how hard that is to earn. And no one has a right to frighten you like that because right. that's putting a hook into you. That's like what cult leaders do. So, yes, for me, we're professionals. And just as if you go to a quack doctor, that can make you distrust all physicians. You go to a bad psychic, all of us are scam artists. So to protect other people means they won't get bitten by these fakes. And it gives all of us a chance to prove that we're good and we are professional and we have ethics. Very good. I like that word professionalism. And you mentioned the book previously. I want to get more into your book. How did you decide specifically what to put in the book? Because these are the questions that people ask over and over and over again. The first part, the first two chapters are really uh, an expansion of a little ebook I had called Psychic Answers. Psychic 101, the good, the bad, and the Cleos, what we can do, what we can't, when to run. Psychics 102 is how to prep for a great psychic experience. And it tells you what to do to form the best questions, how to listen to us, how to take the information. Then it's questions you can ask, questions you can't. Pay fair to play fair. Don't try to bargain with us. Don't say, well, you're just standing around there, so why don't you read me for half? And it asks you to treat us like professionals. I have had people come up to me and say, across the table, tell me something you couldn't tell me about, and you know, because you wouldn't know. And if you're right, I'll have a reading. And I look at them and I smile and I say, I'm sorry. I don't roll over and fetch either. And I turn my back and they do not get a read. Treat me with respect and I will be the best intuitive counselor you ever met because I'll treat you the same. But we are not carnival acts and we're not trick dogs. 
So this teaches you how to treat us well, how to keep yourself safe. I will say that a lot of psychics who have read this and laughed have said, I wish I had this book when I was just starting out. Everybody's favorite chapter is called When Not to Have a Reading, when getting a reading vote help. Because as you can expect, 95% of the questions we get start with, does Bruce love me? It's always the relationship. And sometimes you will have someone who so desperately wants an answer, they'll keep beating on you and taking the question and turning it in little directions until they wear you down. Does Bruce think about me? No. Has he ever thought about me? Not the way you like. If I do such and such, will he think about me? No, he won't. Well, is he going to call soon? He isn't. Well, if he's not going to call soon, will he call later? See, twist, twist, twist. Until you finally say, fine, yes, he loves you and he wants seven babies with you, but he just doesn't know it yet. And they go, oh, good, I thought so. Don't do this to us, please. So it's things like that. And it can be funny. But, you know, you pay us to be honest, kids, not to tell you pretty things. We're too expensive for just telling you pretty things. Right. Very good. How did you go from being a psychic to actually making a business? Because the way you talk about being a psychic and being professional, it sort of falls into being a business person. If someone should book an appointment with you. They should schedule an important time to meet. There should be a location. There should be a criteria. And right. Sort of go into how you develop that business sense, because my show is not just about spiritual people. It's spiritual entrepreneurs, and you fit that quota. Okay. Well, part of it is because I was in the corporate world for so long, I can scale the twin mountains of business acumen and wikiwoo. I was on the road for 18 years, 45 weekends a year. I put 50,000 miles a year on my car. My nickname was the Travel Channel. But in 2019, you know, 64, herniated disc, pinched nerves, honey, that hurts. Agony. And it took me a couple of months to get over it. But then the doctor said, your traveling days are done. You cannot sit in a car for 10 hours. You can't load in and load out. So I've moved my business online. But I have all this experience why not share it? Which was the third book. You've got The Magic Who Needs a Genie, The A-Lister's Guide to Holistic Expo Success. And in here, I give you everything I learned from how to choose your shows, how to design your booth, what to wear, how to choose your front person, how to network, and on and on and on from 18 years of experience. And it's specifically written for, I'll use the term lightworkers, psychics, healers, vendors, people who are working in this alternative holistic atmosphere, because there is no other book out there like that. Not one. But you know when it was published? March 2020, the month we all had lockdown from the year of Murder Hornet. Bingo. So, you know, it's here now, but it's, it's time. You know, we're all coming back out, guys. It's time to buy the book. It's time to use it and learn. Because the more professional you look, the more people will trust you with the intuitive stuff you're going to tell them. Right. You talk a lot about readings. What are some of the absolutes people need to know when it comes to doing readings? Are you talking about us or the people that come to us for readings? I think more about you, because I, I don't think this, a lot of this people... This side of the table. Okay. Yeah, most people don't know about your side. Okay. The most important thing you need to do is focus on your client, complete compassion. You're not judging them. You have to be, as John Holland says, we're the tube that the information comes through. 
when I work with a client, I encourage people not to ask yes or no questions because I can't give them as much useful information. If someone comes to me and says, I want to open up a healing center, is it going to be successful? I look at them and say, and what if I said no, and you're going to lose everything and live in a box under a bridge? That's the wrong question. Always ask what empowers you and encourage your clients to do the same. For me, as an entrepreneur, read that would be a card for them, a card for the energy around the business, the brick and mortar location, how to market it, clients, competition, staff, finances, what they need to know and best possible outcome. The more we can give them useful information instead of, I am the great psychic and I'm telling you what is going to happen, they're going to come back to us because they will trust us. And what we need to remember and need to remind them, even the best of us are only 85% accurate because we're human. The only one 100% accurate is God, and he probably doesn't have a booth at the psychic fair next year. So that that's where it is. I remind people, you have a right to charge for what you do. No one can say to you, oh, but that's a spiritual gift from God. You shouldn't be charging. You're not good. What do you mean you won't give me a read for free? All right. My brother is a brilliant pediatric pulmonologist. He's world famous. Nobody would come up to him and say, what do you mean you won't treat me for three? You're not very good. You want me to get sick and die. You know, people hear that and they say, that's ridiculous. Well, it's the same thing with us. When I'm doing, I used to do a four-day show in Kitchener, Ontario that I loved. And I live near Albany, New York. So that's five days on the road, the booth fee, the Airbnb fee, paying my front person, eating on the, you know, it costs me money to be at the show for you guys. So I'm going to charge you. People need to realize this is a business. It doesn't mean we don't care, but it means that we do need to make a living at it and fair is fair. And that's one of the reasons that I look as successful as I do, because I do charge what I'm worth. Almost 50 years of experience, certifications. I read a thousand people a year. I'm not a schlock. So you're going to pay me better than a schlock. Simple as that. Excellent. And you sort of touched base on this before, but what are some, please tell me what are some common misconceptions people have about psychics? They think that we're reading your head as, as you go by. They think that we have no morals, that we're just poking around in your brain pan. No. The agreement that I have with my guides, because people say, do you hear things when I'm walking? No. The deal I made with the folks upstairs that helped me do the work is... Shops closed until you sit down with me and we have an agreement. Either you pay me or we've bartered. I'm doing a reading. You're bringing me a chicken or it's a gift. But for anybody to just read you without your permission, it's what I can't stand about the Long Island medium. They show her walking up to somebody she doesn't know in a grocery store and say, excuse me, I have a message from your aunt Doris. Your back tire is bald. You're going to die in a car accident the week. You don't get it fixed. Just telling you when she walks away. That's ridiculous. For one thing, it's, it's not how it happens. Trust me, her a, her agents suss out the store for a month, pick out some people, get them to sign a release, and then it's filmed several times. But those people who come up to you in a store and say, I have a message for you, you have a right to say to them, I do not accept this, and I don't want to hear it. Because you don't know them from Adam's house cat. And if they keep pushing with the idea that Giving you that message is more important than your boundaries. That's harassment, and you report them to the manager of the store. 
it's when the psychic's ego trumps the comfort of the person they're talking to. Now, there are people from Lilydale. Lilydale is one of the most famous spiritualist communities in the world. And they will get messages, but they will always come up to someone and say, excuse me, uh, my name is, is Reverend Mark and I'm from Lilydale. I believe I have a message for you. May I come to you? And if you say no, the answer is no. And they won't. Boundaries should be respected. And don't be afraid to set them with a psychic. If you don't want them discussing health questions, say, I don't want to hear about health questions. The psychic will respect that if they are a professional. It's very interesting because I know there's some people out there that have had some very bad experiences with psychics. And most of the time it's because boundaries have not been made and they expose some type of information that can seriously injure someone mentally. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Again, that is why I wrote the Psychic Yellow Brick Road, to tell people you have a right to boundaries. You have a right to specify the information that you want to hear. And if you don't feel safe, you get up from that psychic's table and you walk away. And no, they're not going to curse you, please. And what else do you want to know? Why do you think people are so afraid about psychics and being cursed and all these other things? Why is there this fear of that other world and how you operate? Number one, standard organized religion makes them fear us, right? One of the one of the very famous things around witchcraft, there is supposedly a line, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live in the Bible. No, that's a mistranslation. The word was poisoner. But because witches can't be led around like sheep by the local priest, the local rabbi, the local imam, anyone who has these gifts is seen as a threat to organized religion. We fear what we don't understand. Now, you could do what I do. Honestly, Jimbo, you could. We are all wired like this house plan. It's just that my circuit breakers off and all this stuff comes through. People who are terrified of this, it's all locked and rusted shut. And people who think there's nothing to this, but they always know who's calling when the phone rings, they have a short in the system. They think they're not getting anything, but they don't. We're all wired like this. So there's no reason to be afraid. It is when people think that we are special or they can't do what we do that they fear us. No, that is not my familiar nor my peculiar. That's my rescue boy who doesn't know about manners on podcasts. This is Harley. Harley Mommy's on on radio, Scoot. So next question. And another thing is, how do you get out of a bad situation with the psychic? Like, for example, that woman that experienced that fake gypsy lady, Mm -hmm. what would have been the better route for her to take? Because I think you've turned people's eyes now and, so we've changed their perception. Now they're thinking, hmm, maybe I can go to a psychic, but how do I avoid that same situation? I find someone like Corby here. Okay. Let's take how you would find us at um, a psychic fair when you don't know any of us from Adam's house cat. Well, I tell people that they have to be good puppies. First, they have to do their walkies. And you're going to walk around and look at everybody. You don't have to talk to anybody yet, but you want to get a feel for who's there. Then you go get paper trained. What does that mean? That means you're going to go to any psychic who looks interesting and get information on them. They'll have rack cards or flyers like this. If you look at mine, it tells you what I can do. And on the back, it has some testimonials from people that have had readings from me. When you've read through and there are three or four people that feel like they might fit, go back to the booth. Talk to us if we're not busy or talk to our front people. But remember, I can tell you I'm wonderful. 
And I hire the front people to say they love us. My very first front person who was wonderful was Laura Spickerman. Laura was my husband's office manager at the museum he ran Monday through Friday. Do you think she's going to dismiss his museum director? Probably not. So you want to go and find our testimonial books. We all have them. And flip through. You're going to find out, are we kind? Are we funny? Are we accurate? Do we have specialties, children, dogs, dead people? Do people come back? But the last thing is, please check in here. Check in at your heart level. If the psychic doesn't feel like they have a brain in their head, they really care about what they're doing, or they're going to give you good information, don't go there, no matter how cool the wiki woo looks on the table. And if nobody there rings your chimes, leave without a reading. There'll be somebody else at another time. Same thing if you're choosing one of us and you've never met us. Contact us on the phone if you want. And if we do not have testimonials on our websites, I have a lot of them, feel free to ask. Could, are there two or three people that I could talk to have had readings from you? All of us who are professionals have in our pocket a handful of people who have said, yes, you can give them my phone number. I'll have, be happy to vouch for you. And then you can ask questions like, do they upcharge? Do you go for a general reading, but then they say that you absolutely have to have a soul plan reading? Do they sell you all kinds of extra stuff? And do they always say the same thing? That's that's what you can do to keep yourself safe and find someone who's reputable. I never mind when somebody asks me for a testimonial. I think that's smart on their part, and I have them for them. Very good. To kind of jump off this again, how do you tell if a psychic is fake? Is it as simple as saying, you can't read what I'm saying, or you can't? Now, I've had some good experiences with psychics before, and... I'm somewhat of a believer. It's enough to raise an eyebrow every once in a while. Like, oh, you know, that was pretty neat. But how do you encounter someone that's fake now? Like for someone that has a bad experience, how do you, well, if it's bad, you should know. But how would you know if a psychic is fake? If you are post-menopausal, not you, but if someone is post-menopausal and childless and the psychic says, of all your children, it's your youngest who will take care of you in your old age. Baby, she's not connecting. You stop her right there and say, I'm sorry, Madam Hoo-ha, but we are not connecting. If you've paid her, you ask for your money back. If you haven't paid her, you just smile and say thank you when you leave. But you do that within the first five to seven minutes of the reading. You don't sit there for an hour and then say, nothing you said was right. I want my money back. That's like watching all the Harry Potter movies and then saying, I don't believe in muggles. Give me all my money back. No, that's not fair. If the psychic starts telling you that they are somehow connected with you through a past life and you have to give them money, et cetera, et cetera. No, this happened to my late friend, Sharon. Years ago, there was a group reading uh, in Washington, D.C. And this woman must have seen the word sucker printed across Sharon's forehead. Because out of 150 people, she went, Sharon! Today is your lucky day, because when I was high priest for Ramses II, you were the novice who had me killed, and today we can clear your karma. Sharon lost her life savings and nearly lost her house before intervention. I don't care if I figure out that I was a famous World War I pilot, and so were you, and then, hey, do you remember the plane we flew? No, because that has nothing to do with the reading that you want now. If you come to me and you're one of my clients for 15 years, at that point, I could say, do you know what I figured out the first time? Because then it's not a hook anymore. and We both go out for a couple of German beers. See, that's the difference. The psychic should not try to wrap their life around you. 
They shouldn't tell you that what you believe is wrong. You know, I mean, I don't care if you're Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, pagan, or believe in Ralph the Wonder Dog. I really don't. All I need for you is to know that there's somebody up there who loves you, wants the best for you, and is willing to work with you. And they, if you're coming off a bad relationship, especially, no psychic should ever make moves on you. That is sexual predatory behavior. And I'm just going to say one thing. You wouldn't sleep with your doctor and you wouldn't sleep with your shrink and you wouldn't sleep with your priest. Why would you sleep with your psychic? We have to maintain objectivity. So if you fall in love with your psychic, wonderful, get married, have lots of indigo children, but find somebody else to read for you. That's where that goes. Hmm. And that's quite interesting. So to sort of keep it simple, the majority of psychics that aren't really that real, they tend to use hooks. A real psychic is going to be more professional or more natural with the delivery of a reading. Yes. Now, let's talk about mediumship for a second, because I do it a little differently. A lot of mediums will just go upstairs and grab whoever. Best medium I ever knew, God bless her, is the late Allie Cheslick. She was up here in Albany. And we nicknamed her Chatty Kathy of the Dead, because she was. She's brilliant. But a lot of them go, oh, I see a woman. Did you lose your grandmother? No, your mom? What about your cousin? It's your cousin. That's a cold read. I don't believe in that. So what I do is I'll ask for the dog tags. For instance, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 10,001 at the age of 80. Notice that tells me nothing about it, but gets me into the energy right away. And then I'll tell you what I'm getting. And for some reason, my own spirit guides play charades. All of a sudden, if I do this, it means they smoked. If I do this, it meant they had surgery. If I do this, it meant it was an accident that killed them. I have no idea why I do this. That's what upstairs chooses to do. But as a result, I get some very unusual things. A woman wanted to speak to her father-in-law. And all of a sudden, I find myself miming a pool cue. He taught her how to play pool. There was a woman in Hamilton, Ontario, wanted to speak to her grandfather. All of a sudden, he does this. Now, Americans salute with our palms down. Canadians salute with it out the way the British do. She had just graduated from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Academy, which she hadn't told me. See, those are not, it's a rose they love you. These are things I could not. Very often, I will literally get what they used to say. There was a woman who was from Texas, but I met her in York, Pennsylvania. She hadn't told me this. And her husband had died six months ago. And all of a sudden, I feel my arms go out in a big hug and my head tilts and I go, hey, baby. That's how we walked into the house every night after work. How did I know this? I'm comfortable doing it that way. People who say you shouldn't ask anything and you should get them immediately. Well, live and be well. You know, all of us have different methodologies. For me to get those tiny, true facts from just the four things I ask, I'm sorry, I'm quite content that it's real. And then I will open up the door and I will literally channel the conversation between my client and their dead person. Not a lot of mediums will do that. So again, we'll all have different methods the way all doctors have different bedside manners. So it's not that we all have the same skills or we'll all act the same way. But you will know if we're really connected with you, if we really care about what we're saying to you, and if we're being straight and honest with you. You know what a slimy person feels like. Yeah. You also mentioned before following that intuition. And a certain person that I talked to previously worked with psychics and then with mediums. And 
some of these people, they say, oh, my reading is part psychic intuitive and also part medium. Mm-hmm. And I just want to clarify, before we even get into your certified tarot card reading skills, what is the difference between a psychic and a medium when it comes to their reading specifically? You know, that's one thing that most people don't get, and I'm glad you asked. So all mediums are psychic, meaning they're getting information somewhere other than their five senses. But not all psychics are mediums. Mediums specifically talk to dead people. There's channeling, which is different. When someone channels, it's like Esther Hicks with Abraham. All right. They are bringing information down. Uh, it's what I call a direct download from guides or angels or or your dead people that you didn't ask to talk to who are kind of your spirit guides. My father, for instance, was a fabulous internist cardiologist. And he was my best friend. We shared the same birthday. And sometimes he will come in when I'm doing a medical reading, especially if it's cardiac related. Now, I always tell people, I am not a doctor. You have to remember this. I Do not take what I'm saying and then not go see somebody. But there was a woman up around uh, the Thousand Islands area in New York years ago. She was still a nurse at 74, bless her. And she said, I'll just do a general check and see how I'm doing. And I sense this rustle of a you know white coat behind me. And I point to the empty air and I say, this is my father, Dr. Dorkin. He was a fabulous cardiologist when he was alive. He still does consult. Now, I know from nothing about medicine. Nothing. I was a theater major. So I open up and immediately what I hear is what's with the T waves. She looks at me. She just had an EKG, an electrocardiogram, which is how they see how the heart's beating. And she had abnormal T waves. What did my father do for 30 years at a New Jersey hospital? But he was the director of the heart station there and read EKGs. So I turn around and I look at the empty air and I say, you know, you're still a pretty damn good doctor. Even if you are dead, he laughs. Now that's not mediumship per se, because I'm not trying to talk to dad, but dad's coming in as a guy that helps me do my job as an intuitive consultant. So that's a case where I'm channeling my father's energy. That is, does that, is that clear for you? Right, right. So a medium is a little bit more of a sort of the equivalent of a language translator. A medium talks specifically to your dearly departeds. Yes. Okay. And a psychic is using her, his, her sixth sense. Now, I will admit, when I do readings, I also use my left brain. Remember, our right brain is our intuitive, creative side. Our left brain is logic. I was an executive recruiter for engineering and manufacturing. I placed people in six-figure jobs for years. If somebody comes to me and wants to talk about their business, I tell them, my left brain is going to weigh in here. I'll do the psychic work, but if I know something from my years of experience as a headhunter, do you want me to tell you? I haven't had one person say no. So that's one of the other things that I encourage. If you've got a particular skill, don't shut that off if you think it could help your client. Tell them that you've got it and ask them if they want you to add that in to the psychic session. Simple. How do you now blend all that with your tarot card reading? Because I know you're the expert here, but I've seen it before and I've had a lot of tarot card readings done on me as well. And what defines a professional that's certified versus a person that normally just does tarot card reading and just learned at home? 
Okay. I had been certified with two groups. I became a certified professional tower reader through the Tower Certification Board of America, which is unfortunately no longer around, and a certified tower master through the Tarot Guild, which is an international group. When I did my three-hour exam for the certified professional tower reader, it's not, do you know the meanings of all the cards? It's, can you design spreads? If you have a card here, what does it mean? What happens if you put it down here in a different position? You write a code of ethics. That gives people the knowledge that you take this seriously, that you're not just reading from a book. And the other thing is allegory is really important. All right. If you can look at a card and tell the stories, then that's really important. I'm pulling a couple that I'm going to uh, show you so that you understand how that works. The first one is the six of swords. And this usually means leaving behind things that no longer serve you. But as I point out, the woman in the boat mourns. In order to go from the rough waters to the smooth, she had to leave a lot of things back on the dock that told her who she was or her boat wouldn't float. So that gives the story to people so they understand why. It's not simply saying this is what it is and you have no choice. Because people need to understand that there are choices in these things. Here's one. This is, again, leaving things behind. What I tell people is, okay, the beer is flat, the wine is sour, the water is dirty. There is no more nourishment in those cups. So this person is leaning on the staff of his will. He's wearing the cloak of his passion. He says, that's a hell of a road ahead of me, but that's where I need to go. When they hear stories, it works for them. Now, there's one particular card that uh, normally has uh, a an artisan working around a stained glass window. In the deck that I use, it's got an Asian flavor, but there it is. Now, that means mastery and it means long-term. But when I was reading for one couple, what came out of my mouth was, there's a deconsecrated or abandoned church around here and that's where you need to open up a cafe bakery. It's not what the card has meaning of normally, but they looked at each other and they looked at me and they nodded and they said, well, we know which one it is. We've been arguing about it for two years. So when you realize, hey, this is just paper on and, and colored ink. There's nothing scary about it, but it's a doorway for you to look through. You stop thinking about it has to be these meanings and you open up to the information that spirit is giving you. And the other thing that I do is I work with oracle cards. Now, what's the difference? Tarot is 78 cards, 22 majors, four suits. It's been like that for hundreds of years. It has rules. The new oracle decks can have as many cards as they want, different meanings. It is the gift of the artist. And I use eight different decks in my readings. And sometimes I will use a couple of decks in a reading. For instance, I told you the thing that usually comes out of the person's mouth is, where the heck is my person? Okay. So the first thing I do is this is a deck by John Gray, the guy who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And I pull from this the four and four. The first four cards are what they need to bring to the table in order to make a relationship work. And the second four are what the person they would like to date needs. And they're things like empowerment. See that? Then. I will use a tarot deck and go month by month to see where this person might show up. So they get a double reading. The other thing that I do, and if anybody out there wants to be 
a serious reader, you better too, is that I have a deck for children. Because wow. very often somebody is going to bring little muffin with them to a psychic fair and muffin is three and muffin is squirming and mommy, mommy want a card. And she says, well, go to kid, pick a card. If you use a standard tarot deck, what happens with this? Oh, look muffin. It's the deck card. No, you don't want to do that. So I've got cat wisdom. It has cute little kitties. There's a card that says, don't worry. Now a three-year-old is going to be able to deal with that. So if you're going to be out there and reading for professionals, have a deck that's harmless so you right. don't give the kid nightmares. So that's that's an example of how Oracle decks can be very useful along with tarot. Tarot is your standard. Oracle decks are optional. That's, that's how I see it. And another thing is you really push these cards quite a bit. And I mean this, let me phrase this in this way. They're what I love to use. Everybody has a favorite toy. But if you come to me about a past life, that's a direct download. I use the correct tools. You know, if if you need a wound stitched up, you're not going to have an x-ray. And you use these cards in a very interesting way because most of the time with these readers, they always, they tend to, and this is not a bad way, but they also, they usually just use one set of cards and the cards have one particular meaning alone. And the way you describe your cards, they have dual meanings. And a lot of these readers that I know, they don't really use Oracle decks either. So you're probably in a different stage than most of these people are. And they could probably learn something. I'm old. Been doing it a while. Right. And I'm not afraid to experiment. Okay. I mean, the thing that a lot of people say to me when they've done their rounds at a psychic fair is, God, you look like you're having a lot of fun. A lot of you. I am the fifth generation blah, blah. I'm Claire Audrey and I'm Claire Boyden. And I say, look, I'm the most practical psychic you're, you're going to find here. And I'm me, and I don't try to make myself sound like I'm the most brilliant person in the world, but I make it very clear I'm delighted to be here for them, that I would love to sit and have a reading with them. How can I help you? That's different from the way most psychics come across. They don't, they act like I'm a serious professional. Me, I'm a golden retriever puppy on two legs. Let's go play. And that relaxes people, really does. Yeah, and that's quite interesting because a lot of psychics do, in a sense, come across a certain way, but it's more of a way where I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing, and it sometimes mm -hmm. intimidates them. And unless you're a person that's accustomed to seeing this, you can really be scared away from something like that. I'm kind to rookies. I really am. And I reassure them that we won't go any farther than they want, that they still have a right to say no. I always give people a recording if it's any length of a reading, either an MP3 download if I'm reading like this over the Internet or I hand them a CD at a show because you'll never remember everything. And if you're taking notes, you're not listening. They need to be able to go back and hear what I had to say so they don't garble the message. Hmm. That That's also a comfort to them that I'm not afraid to let them listen to it again. Is that a common trend? Because there was another lady that I interviewed that also forgot everything whenever she did a reading with someone. And she would tell people to record her because she would just forget the next day. Yeah. Well, when I was doing the circuit, I read 
a lot in New York. I read in Ontario. I read in Pennsylvania and New England. All of this recorded. And frankly, if someone is going to pay the same amount of money to someone who records and someone who doesn't, they're going to go get the recording. So we all recorded. And the reason that we forget what we said, when I did a four-day show in Kitchener, Ontario, it was three to nine, 10 to nine, 10 to nine, and 10 to six. And I was, as an A-lister, I was packed. So I would read 70 people in a weekend and do two lectures. Now, that was without break, 11 hours a day, unless I scheduled them in. In order to make sure that I read you clear, the person I read before you, they get up, they say, thank you, you sit down. I've already dumped the information that I was listening to so that I'm clear for you. And the other thing is, if we retain the information, our ego gets in the way. Should I have said that to her? Maybe I was wrong. I trust what comes out of my mouth. There was a reading I had for one woman. There were a couple of challenges she was going to have, and I told her. And she gets up and she says, you suck, and she walks away. Next time I was back at that venue, who was the first person back in my chair? She sits down. She says, last time I said you sucked. I said, yes, I remember. Because you told me that I was going to take in a border, and then I was going to sell my house. And I thought that was all bull, but then my daughter got pregnant and moved home. And now I want to sell my house so I can help raise my grandson. And I still don't like you, but I want to know what else you see. Don't shoot the messenger, guys. So, you know, and if my ego was involved, it would be, oh, my God, what did I say to her? Oh, this is terrible. No, an ego will stop us from doing a good reading. Where the tube, it comes through. And we just have to let it go. And then it's gone. And another point I want to hit is, do you have a certain view of witchcraft as well? How does that sort of differ from the natural way you would do things? Because I've talked to a few witches and they all tend to be generally similar from the way I see it. It's still the same philosophy, still sort of the same outlook from what I see. I could be wrong because you're the expert. Well, I'm not a witch, but I know witches. There are a lot that are Wiccan. And that's the duality, God, goddess, you know, very much a nature religion. Uh, there is another witch I know who is superb, and she's out in California. Her name is Katrina Rasbold. She is a bruja. And a bruja is, I believe, uh, Latin American. Uh, and she doesn't do black magic or white magic. It's, is something justified or not justified? And, for instance, she does something called Olympia. That's a, a spiritual cleansing with an egg. Uh, that's a very different culture. So Wiccans and witchcraft are actually, Wiccans are a subset of witchcraft. There are brujas and coranderas and all kinds of different versions. The witches you've talked to are probably the American European witches. Okay. But witchcraft is a lot bigger than that. That is what I understand as someone who's not one. So it's two different approaches, but sort of the same results. Like you can do cleansings as well, or? It's not, it's not my specialty. Right. right. Um, it's like I said, we all have specialties. The way I see it, spirit takes a look at what's in the pantry and decides what they're going to cook up there. For instance, there are a lot of people that use pendulums. That's the crystal or the stone on the end of a chain or a string, and they can get yes or no answers. Now, I have a slight benign tremor in one hand, got from my father. So I wouldn't trust what I got with a pendulum because I wouldn't know if it's me or the pendulum. On the other hand, I was a theater major. I love telling stories. And I'm a history buff. I mean, I married a museum director. 
So spirit sees all of that and says, we think that we could do past lives with you. So I am a past life specialist. What I do is retrieve, not regress. And that's important. A past life regressionist is someone who must be a hypnotherapist who takes you down into deep trance so that you can go looking in the Akashic. I'm the person that if you say, why am I afraid? Because I have wet hair in my face all the time. Uh, you know, one strand and I go crazy. I'm the one who goes upstairs, pulls the book down from the Akashic and says, read chapter two. Now, why did spirit give me this particular gift? If you had two people, me and someone else, and we do past lives, they might say to you, I see you in, uh, you're a woman in this life and it's a long skirt and a big hat. So I know it's old fashioned. I would be able to go, okay, hobble skirt, pitch your hat, that kind of ostrich feather. And I see you standing in front of the Brandenburg Gate. So we're talking Berlin in 1911. Which one's going to give you better information? That's my skill. It doesn't mean I'm better than she is. It just means this is what I'm good at with spirit. To go back to the thing about wet hair in my face. When I was lecturing at Lilydale, which is a very famous spiritualist community, um, a woman went, why, why do I fear wet hair in my face? Her hair was butch short. She was that scared of it. And I said, wait a minute. I said, all right, there's a five-syllable answer, Lusitania. In 1915, you were one of the passengers on the ship. When it got torpedoed, you went over the side, but you hadn't bobbed your hair for the fashions at that point. You still had the big Edwardian mass, so there was a lot more hair to get water. Plus, debris kept getting caught in your hair and pulled you down, and you drowned. She looks at me and says, is that why I'm scared to go on a cruise? I said, probably. Notice she had not said that to me at all. It was, she gave me the clue upstairs handed me the book and I said read chapter two another thing is what makes a psychic special from a normal person why should someone pay for a psychic and I don't mean this um, in a way that's against what oh, you're doing no, I'm very no, supportive you are, of the asking, you are asking brilliant incisive appropriate question Jimbo I have no problem with anything you've asked at all and what I'll say is we psychics are a luxury you can get through your life never going to us. But if you're stuck and you are in a place where you need an objective opinion outside of you, if you are, you keep chewing on a, on a situation like, why am I not dating? Or I don't know how to run my business. Or should I do this or that? We might be able to help. That's why you come to us. But again, we're a luxury. We'd love to see you. But you are not going to go to your grave unfulfilled if you never talk to one of us. You're not. Wow. So do you think all psychics can potentially be luxuries? Or or do you think you specifically are more of the luxury to the mass majority of people? A psychic reading is a luxury, okay. not the psychic per se. Right? There are some people that say, I've changed their life. That's wonderful. And I'm happy to do that. And for them, the reading was turned out to be a necessity, but it's because of how they use the reading, how they accepted the reading that they feel it's a necessity. If you want to learn what we do, remember, I tell you, you can do what I do. I'm not special. I've just had this joy for half a century and I played with it. You know, it's like we all have 10 fingers. We can all do chopsticks. Some of us devote time and effort and practice our skills and spend time at the piano, we can get good. One in a hundred million, that's Elton John. But we all have fingers and we can all try the piano. 
at the end of the day, it took hard work. You probably had a lot of times where you didn't get the right message or you had trouble tapping into it. You had to diligently work and work to get good at doing readings specifically. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to. I loved it. It was not, it was hard work, but it wasn't hard on me. That's your difference. And what advice would you give to someone, anyone in particular, when they want to pursue their goals in life? Because you have a sense of business, a sense of spirituality. How do you mix and mingle that together to win in both worlds? What advice would you give for that? Number one, my darlings, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay. If you really want to do something like this professionally, it will take you a long time. And that doesn't mean you're dumb or you're not good. It's just the way when, if you were making a sword in the old days, you'd heat the metal and you'd fold it and you'd hammer it and heat it and fold it. And you might do it 300 times before you get that brilliant blade. I have one student. I've never offered to be a teacher to a student on a permanent basis before. I have one now. She's 13. She will be a brilliant reader. Because she's got a huge, compassionate heart. She adores what she's doing. And it's it's work for her, but it's also joy. So that's what I'm going to tell you. Don't go into this kind of work because you want to make a lot of money or you think it will make you special. Do it because you want to be in service. Do it because you want to go hand in hand with whoever is upstairs for you and say, let's go make a little difference in the world. And if you get to get up every morning doing this instead of having to get up every morning to do this, you're in the right game. So it's really humility, humility and hard work. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, look, I'm a reverend, non-denominational, but again, I did it for service. I especially did it back before uh, same gender marriage was legal in this country. If I had friends who backed for the same team and they wanted sacred ceremony, I was going to do it. I couldn't challenge. I couldn't. And it's the same thing. Whoever comes to you is looking for information. And as long as they're not looking for things like, where's my husband sleeping with his mistress? Because I consider that remote spying. Do your best for them. Be honest with them if you can't read them. But if you can, give them your best effort, as you would want given to you. And another thing I want to note here, Back to the business aspect, what do you think is a fair payment or a fair transaction a customer can make to a psychic? And are there any situations where a refund is an option? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. You're going to pay, if you go to Jackson Square, New Orleans, you'll pay 10 bucks, you know, or the boardwalk, Venice Beach, California. You're going to pay more for me because I've got certifications and 50 years of experience and I'm good. Now, For instance, the most expensive reading I do is called a soul plan reading. It is based on the work that I did with Robert Schwartz in his international book series. That reading is, I'll be honest, almost $600. But what you're getting is 14 straight hours of my work, most of it in deep trance meditation, bringing down two to as many as 10 past lives in detail. I am a crispy critter at the end of that reading, baby, and I take the next day off. So that's the 12 to 14 hours of work I do ahead of time, plus an hour on the phone with you. That's a reading that I tell people are luxuries. I have far less expensive readings, and I always downsell myself, not upsell. 
If a 15 minute mini reading can do it for you, darling, do that. You do not need a soul plane reading. And when someone wants to book a soul plane reading, I talk to them first to make sure that A, they've read Rob's books so they know how this is structured. And B, is there another way, a less expensive way that we can get that answer for them? If it turns out, no, they really need to do it in a full soul plane reading, fine. It's been full disclosure. They know what it costs. They have convinced me as well as themselves, that this is appropriate. But these readings are so rough. I'll only do a couple of months. A normal reading, a general reading, sure. 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, as much as you think you need. But I always warn people, I am fast. Now, for instance, let's say somebody books an hour with me. We get everything done in 35 minutes. What I will do is I will give them a special code and say, look, you've just banked banked a half an hour. Next time you need a reading with me, You go in, here's the scheduler, you pick out a half an hour reading, and you put in this code, you will not be charged any further. So it's not a matter of, you know, you only needed 35 minutes, but I'm charging you for the hour. There are occasions where I just don't get anything for somebody. And I will say to them, I'm sorry, I'm not getting anything for you. I will refund your money. It's it's just the proper way to do business. And again, it helps people trust us that we're not just in it for the bucks we'll take. Do all psychics do it that way? I have no idea. I just know how I work. Very good. And do you have any final words that you would like to give to the audience? If you are thinking of doing this work yourself, professionally, yes, order the book from Amazon. You've got the magic who needs a genie. Because guys, we've got, what, 8 billion people in the world and I'm 66. I am not going to read them all. There is room for you at the table. We need more good intuitive consultants. If you are someone who wants to go to us, you get this one. Read it thoroughly. Remember that you are in charge of the reading, not the psychic. If you're afraid, leave. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Make sure you understand what's going on. Don't buy more of a reading than you need. We are like all other professionals. We want to do a good job for you, but that means that you have to come in with the right attitude as well. Don't be afraid of psychics. We're normal. We own cats. We wash our cars and we pay our bills. That's all. Thank you again for being on the show. You were a great guest. I had a great time. Thanks for asking. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Parish show. 